Welcome to Raspberry Tea Pod Chat. I'm Claire. I'm Claire. And I'm Jo. <laughs> CCJ. Good and morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's the Raspberry Tea Pod Chat with Claire, Claire and Jo. Um, hello, ladies. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, we're on Zoom, obviously, still recording, social distancing under lockdown. Um, today, we wanted to talk about getting your affairs in order. Um, not for everyday living and you know, knowing what the direct debit comes out of, but actually for if the worst happens, if you became very ill, if, you know, sadly you passed away and your family or your friends whoever it might be um is left to deal with your affairs because it's something most people have been through um the young claire on here not so much um but joe and i certainly <laughs> well you are young against the rest of us <laughs> rest of us against me old hags <laughs> yeah 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 we, we're up we're 50s you're not um can't see you do. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. No, this isn't that organised, is it? A start to the podcast. Anyway, yes. So in the last three months, I guess it's been for me, this has become very, very apparent. Um, I've done some planning with my dad previously um, because I've got a 90-year-old dad, but I've had to actually invoke a power of attorney for somebody and I'm now executor on their will um and it's been a huge learning curve um absolutely massive so really what we wanted to talk about was you know how you can help those that are going to have to help you or deal with things when you're left behind because with covid and the pandemic and everything else this, i think this is more important than ever yeah absolutely yeah. i think there's yeah. actually there's there's a there's a more present chance of life ending basically because there's a there's an additional threat to everybody so whereas people might ah i'm not old it's not it's not gonna happen to me yet or mum and dad are this age and that age there's actually actually there's, there's a threat now so these things could quite easily come into play yeah and i think something else i've learned through one of our clients and in fact we've all worked for a um who's a, a family solicitor is, and I think this is worth a mention, is if you are living with a partner, it doesn't matter whether you've been together for 20 years, it doesn't matter whether you've got kids together, etc. If one of you died, the other one has no right. Yeah. There is no such thing as a common law wife, common law husband, common law partner. Um, the only way that you are next of kin and their estate would pass to you is if you were married or in a civil partnership or if you've got a will. And I think a lot of people don't realise that. They don't realise the importance of the will. Yeah. If you are just partners, and I say just, I don't mean that it's any less than a marriage, but in the eyes of the law, it is less. It, yeah. I mean, it came as a real shock to me when we first started working on that. Um, the information, obviously, that we, you know, that we were learning as we were going along, your loved ones could actually end up homeless, yeah, and lose entitlement to everything. 
unless you have it specified. Um, and, you know, we talk about COVID, but in actual fact, it could be anything. We, we lost my beautiful next door neighbour um, on the 1st of June last year, and I will never forget that day. Um, and they'd been married um, for quite some time. Everything had been put in order and he made it so easy for Kathy just to deal with everything because you know you're going through the whole mental emotional state the turmoil that you're going through um would you want your family to to go through the whole upheaval and uproar of trying to decide what goes where and you know everything right in that moment of complete emotional just you're on a roller coaster anyway aren't you yeah experiencing it um even if even if you can Say, for example, you've put some money towards, so the, the mortgage is in one person's name and you've given them some money towards it. It might be a lump sum from an inheritance. It might be you give them monthly money towards it. Unless you have that legally documented, it doesn't stand up in law. Yeah. And if, if you have, as one half of a family, taken a lesser job, to look after the children or not worked at all to look after the children and right now that could be men and women we've, we've got yeah. you know there's lots of guys take that role if their wife's got a, a career um you know if you're not married then that there's no if you don't have legal evidence to say this is what we decided then you've got no right it's it's horrendous it's very very complicated it could cost tens of thousands of pounds to fight it in the court then you are really not guaranteed Mm. any sort of outcome in your favor the Um, other thing that really struck me sorry to to butt in mm. then the other thing that struck me was about stepchildren Mm. um that you know your partner may have taken on your children or you know vice versa but unless it's specified who is to care for them, they could end up going through the courts and through yeah. the law system. And yeah. you will have no say in where those children go to. And that is horrific. Yeah. It's so, so sad. Yeah, it's it's a real minefield. So I think point number one for us is anybody who's cohabiting, please contact a family solicitor and either get a, a cohabitation um order i think it's called if i remember rightly drawn up but it's basically an agreement of what would happen if you split up what you want to happen um and also get your wills drafted in case the worst did happen um because it's just not worth it and we're certainly not forcing you to go and get down on one knee and get married <laughs> no 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 no. There, there are definite legal things you can do to protect yourself so you could um, there's protection of wealth there's cohabitation agreements there's all sorts of things and and if you don't know who to contact then please um drop us a message in the um facebook page, facebook page and uh, we can put you in touch with our lovely client who will deal with it all for you don't forget um, your pets as well well, that's, yeah, that's more to do with the will, really. Um, yeah, yeah people <laughs> people forget that, you know, they think, oh, I'm single or I'm widowed or whatever else. I don't care where my money goes to. I've no living relatives. But what happens to your dog or your cat? <laughs> it, that needs 
dealing with you, you know there's all sorts of things aren't there but the other the other thing as well I wanted to talk to about really is power of attorneys because this has become massive for me in the last few months yeah. um give people an idea I've got a, a godmother who I've grown up with calling her auntie because she'd no children of her own um she went to teacher training college with my mum um in the 60s um perhaps late 50s actually um and stayed best of friends ever since and I've grown up with her and been a huge part of my life um and I was the executor on her and her husband's will uh, we lost my uncle Eddie in I don't know when it was 2006 2007 something like that might have been 2000 I can't remember it was anyway around that time um Auntie Mary's lived alone in her farmhouse um, ever since. Um, gradually, she, she didn't really want to carry on, I don't think, once we'd lost Uncle Eddie. Yeah. Um, but she'd, she had power of attorneys created um, as well as Will. And thank God she did. Thank God she mm. actually did. Um, she named me and her niece as um, a niece by marriage as power of, as the attorneys on these power of attorneys and honestly we wouldn't have been able to get through the last few months with her for her um if we hadn't had those to invoke um she had fall um she, they put her into a care home which we, nobody had any say in um it was okay it was not that far from everybody um, she then went into hospital with a chest infection. She was then sent to another care home, a different one, but in an NHS bed within that care home. Um, she was then sent back to hospital, but discharged the same day. She went back to the same care home. She was then moved into another part of the care home, which she absolutely hated. And we were told that we had to wait for social services to try and find a, a place somewhere. We knew where we wanted to go. Um, during this time, she'd been told that she couldn't ever return back to the farmhouse because it had open fireplaces, and which she used. It doesn't have traditional central heating. It runs off the arger and fires. Um, and because she was falling, there was a risk to her. So they said, they told her she couldn't ever go back home because of her mobility. And she lost, it broke her spirit. That's the only way I can put it. It absolutely yeah. broke her spirit. Finals, yeah. final straw. Um, she wanted to be with Uncle Eddie. And we were waiting for social services to contact us and they didn't. And then um, her niece, just to a, a general conversation with an occupational therapist, found out that because she was self-funding, we didn't need social services. So I got her a place in a care home she wanted to be in. Um, but she was taken back into hospital before that transfer could happen. Um, she was then sent the care home having been exposed to COVID in the hospital within a week of being in the care home the chest infection came back um, within a week of being back in hospital the COVID had come out it actually went past the 10 days incubation period it yeah. was, she was tested on day 10 and was still negative but on day 13 she was positive so that's a lesson in itself. It's, it's not strictly 10 days. Mm -hmm. um, so she was moved to a COVID ward. Um, 
and within a week of being in that COVID ward, a consultant called me to ask my permission to withdraw treatment because she'd lost all cognitive ability. Um, she couldn't communicate and she couldn't do anything for herself. And they basically said to me, would she want to live that way? And as a ex-teacher, retired teacher, as a farmer's wife, my God, no, she would not want us to have lived that way. And um, you said that was one of the most difficult decisions you've ever had to make. Oh, so, you know, I, I mean, mean, that turmoil in itself is enough, isn't it? Basically, I made the decision to end somebody's life. Yeah. That's in the, if you put it down in black and white, that's what it came as. Yeah. Yeah. And that was massive. And we had to go through similar with my auntie because um, she was completely lucid. We were able, because this is a couple of years ago now that we lost her, we were able to go in and see her um, to actually hear somebody say to you, I'm dying, aren't I? Just let me go. And she wanted to be with my uncle who we'd lost the year before. Um, And we had to make that decision as well with her. And she just said, so so just stop it. Just stop giving me my medication. You know, withdrawal treatment. She was a DNR anyway, which we spoke about with Mary as well. We knew she was a DNR. Um, And, you know, because they'd already made that decision in their heads to be on the DNR, you kind of know how they're going to feel. So, you know, as you just said, Mary did not and would not want to continue life like that. So it, it kind of helps a little bit, but making that final decision and saying it is one of the hardest things ever. Well, it was, it was strange because we were actually, um, Mary's niece, the other attorney, got a call on the 23rd of December to say that she was gravely ill. Yeah. And we had to make the decision about the DNR, not Mary, at that stage. So from the 23rd of December, I've not allowed my phone to go on to do not disturb at night because we've been expecting a phone call ever since every day. Um, That decision didn't feel quite as large. Yeah. Because that felt like if she gives up or her body gives in, just let her go. Don't bring her back and risk the complications and, you know, the very low quality of life that people can have if they're brought back so that that felt like a very sensible decision yeah um the decision to withdraw treatment felt wholly different um because mary couldn't communicate so they couldn't ask her what she wanted um the moving around between all these different homes and hospitals because She's been in three different homes since mid-November and two different hospitals, but I think five wards, not mm. six. Um, they kept saying to me and over the last few weeks, what, what stage was her dementia at? And I kept saying she's never had dementia. Prior to her fall in November, she was getting up every day with carers, mm. but she was up every day, showered, dressed, in jigsaws, reading books, watching TV, making phone calls, completely as far as anybody was aware, dementia-free. Yeah. Now, what, what they've actually advised is that often when elderly people live on their own and don't have somebody constantly with them, the starts of dementia can go unnoticed. 
because for the small amount of time that they're on the phone to somebody or that a carer is there they manage it yeah that's I actually looked this up and we're going a little bit off subject but um I actually looked this up and I don't know if anybody's seen this but Robin Williams actually had severe dementia and that's why he took his own life and yeah yeah, there's a documentary coming out on it and um apparently on the his last film set he struggled massively and that's what led him to end up getting a diagnosis and they said that anybody who hadn't got the incredibly sharp brain that he'd got would have been a wreck by the stage that he was at with this dementia when he after he died they'd done the scans and things and they said it was enveloping his whole brain but really? people can mask it and particularly if they're living on their own it can be masked for those short periods of time when they see somebody and yeah. I mean even more valid again because of the situation that we're in now with lockdown because yeah. they're not seeing as many visitors yeah. and you know you're not seeing your family members as much yeah. so you say we're going off topic slightly but you know it brings me back again to thinking about the mental capacity of making decisions for themselves in terms of their wills but I mean that's you know that again is something to be conscious of we'll not dwell too much on that but that is something to be mindful of. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. are they able to make the decisions that they would have done before? In which case, that's absolutely fine. If they're unable to make decisions again, unless everything is written down um, in that will and it is kept up to date. Well, that I think, be in I think situations as well. I think that leads perfectly into the lasting power of attorneys because lasting power of attorneys are invoked while somebody is alive but they've lost some sort of capacity or do not wish to handle their own affairs anymore and for anybody who doesn't know there are two types of lasting powers of attorney there's a health and well-being and then there's a financial one health and well-being one is only invoked when they can't make their own decisions so for example if somebody had got dementia um, or if somebody was not able to communicate efficiently or effectively. Um, without that health and wellbeing one, you actually don't have a right to say that you want to do not resuscitate on somebody. You don't have a right to agree with the doctors to withdraw treatment or continue treatment. You don't have a right to have any say where they can be put in a care home or a nursing home and there have been cases where people have been put hundreds of miles away from their family because that's the only bed that's been available yeah. now one thing covid has done has meant that homes have got capacity not all their beds are full um unfortunately there's been a huge rate of death in homes as we know so most local you can get your family members into the care home you want locally in most instances and we were certainly incredibly fortunate with the home we wanted Mary to go in um it's the one that was is actually on my dad's street um so you know and, and they've just been absolutely amazing with us um but without that health and well-being power of attorney lasting power of attorney drawn up in advance we couldn't have done that we couldn't have had any say in that decision at all and she would not have been placed in that home 
that is absolutely certain from what they'd said to us. Mm. Um, and the finance one, um, that can be invoked either at the person's request. So, for example, we've got these um, with my dad. If he suddenly said to me, Claire, I don't want to start paying my bills anymore and looking after all that. Can you sort all my money out? Then we could invoke that because he wanted to. Yeah. Or it can be invoked because they don't have capacity to do it anymore. So with Mary, um, you know, we were able to say, no, she is self-financing. I was able to talk to her financial advisor and say, can we self-finance? What level of care can I get her? How are we financially? I didn't ask him for any figures or anything because... As far as I was concerned at that point, that was nothing to do with me. Now I'm attorney on the will. That's a totally different yeah. matter and I need to know what's going on. But at that point, I just wanted to know whether she could afford private care or whether we needed to go down the social services route. Um, I wouldn't have been able to get in, charge, in touch with a bank because she'd got some... Most things come out on direct debit. But she owed the milkman, she owed the window cleaner, she owed the gardener. And, you know, us three are small business owners. We know the importance of cash flow. We know the importance of paying people on time. Yeah. And so I was able to pay those people. Um, her house is quite remote. It's in the countryside. And her alarm was 40 years old and hadn't actually been turned on for the last probably 10 to 15 years I was able to get a security company to come out and reset the alarm to put a telephone um I don't know what it's called I forgot what it's called now like a telephone trace thing on it so that if the alarm was um set off it will ring me yeah um I was able to do that which means that I now know that house is secure when I'm not there, I visit it every couple of days, but on the days I'm, I've not been or at night, you know, I know it's secure. Without the lasting power of attorneys, we'd have been able to do none of that. Yeah. None of that. And honestly, I cannot, I can't say enough how important that has been. Mm. I, I know somebody our age probably wouldn't do the lasting power of attorney thing. I've got a will. I don't know about you two, nope. but they're both pulling faces. Neither of them have done it. Claire, I get it. Joe, you need to start thinking about it. Do you like? <laughs> I'm getting on a bit. <laughs> no, because you've got a house. I think, like, yeah. going back to what you said at the beginning, at the minute, I'm building everything. I've got a, a lot of outgoings and actually not a lot of assets. But what matters to me is if, if I... Let's say if COVID got me, what happens to Iris? Yeah, that's the thing I was going to say. You, I've, you I've might be. Yeah, which, which which is like that's just flagged to me. Well, actually, the fact that I haven't actually got any assets that are entirely mine, they 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 get chipped away, so they'll be mine one day. But that attitude, I ain't got anything to give or whatever, is, is wrong because I've got Iris and yeah, that's she's it. Got, she's yeah. got at least what minimum four or five years left in her. So what happens? Well, there is um, the RSPCA do, do a, a policy where 
um, you can tell them that you've got a pet and if anything ever happened to you, they, they deal with it. Um, I can't ask you, Slav, because you don't do anything that's got Spaniel in its name. <laughs> no, Spaniels are a little bit too giddy for me. However, I would certainly foster her till I found the right home for her if that needs She can be. come to me. She can definitely Yeah, Joe jo would love her. Oh, oh, there we there we go then. I need I need to write a write a write a will so that uh, Iris could go to Auntie Joe should anything happen to me. Specify. But, but you know, I mean that is a good point because yes, I'm single, I haven't got children, so I've got no dependents. We joke about the, the godchildren that I've got who aren't officially godchildren and they're my surrogate daughters and they're, they're. um but actually nieces, nephews, you know, for what I do have, um and we will be in a situation, I mean, business-wise, you know, what would what would happen to all of that? If if we're owing money to people, who's going to sort that out? If people owe us money, who's going to sort that out? It's, you know, it, it's got to be looked at. And I've said it month after month after month. Yeah, I've got to do it. Um, having recently moved into the house, yes, of course, now there's different considerations. Um, but yeah, it's, they're difficult conversations to be had. That's one point that I do want to say. Claire mentioned it earlier. She's had conversations with her dad and we've mentioned it sort of towards the, the back end of last year when this came up with Mary, wasn't it? It's like difficult conversations to have in the family. I think, I think the older somebody is, the more difficult the conversation is. Yeah, it's more realistic. And it's more out, like, out of, you know, yeah. with my experience, I've, when Carl and I had our wills drawn up, We've told the kids what's in them. We've told them what our wishes are. We've told them where the wills are. It's all out in the open. They know what, you know what I mean? There's nothing, mm. there's nothing sort of, you know, un left unsaid or uncertain. Yeah. Whereas with my dad, you know, when my mum died, my dad said, I'd, my mum was buried. Um, and my dad said I want to be cremated but then I want my ashes put in with your mum yeah. he's then since then changed his mind and that just came up out of a very unusual I don't know where it came from actually a couple of years ago he just said yeah I've been thinking a bit differently about that I think I'd like to go in with your mum I was like why have you not said so that's that's the other thing I was going to say because um, I've actually written down up to date with loads of exclamation marks next yeah, to it because things do change. Now I'm I'm going through this process with Mary has been, I mean Mary basically hasn't thrown any paperwork away since my uncle Eddie died, which is well basically everything's in the house since two thousand and six. So yeah, nothing's been thrown away since then. It took me, Carl and Laura, three solid days to work our way through the paperwork, just putting it in piles by company and some of it into date order. It then took me another full day to decide what could be shred and gone. And, and we've literally still got a huge pile to shred, but we've, we've now done 12 black sacks of shredding. Oh. Wow, we've filled our blue bin twice with shredding already. I can only shred every two weeks because we've nowhere to well, put it. I was going to say the bin men only come every um, two weeks. Yeah, I can't come um, burn it in his pit. <laughs> he doesn't want to at the moment for some reason. He's not into fire at the moment. Oh, okay. um, I know, I don't know why. Well, I don't know what's going on. Um, and then on Saturday this week, because Mary passed away 
last week, Saturday this week, when I know I've got to start talking about probate solicitors, I thought, well, I need to get all this in order. They don't need the paperwork. They just need company names, account numbers, balances, things like that. It took me seven hours to type that information up. Um, so I've now got a beneficiaries page that's got everybody's current address details on um, for, for that because there's quite a few beneficiaries in the will. Um, I've got a personal information sheet on which thank go I wasn't going to type that up and thank goodness I did because when I registered the death early this morning um, and then did the you tell us once thing where they informed the councils and the yeah. DWP and all that they wanted national insurance numbers, NHS numbers all sorts of things that I would have been scrabbling around in the files yeah. for. So I did that. Um, I typed up a, a sheet with Uncle Eddie's information on just in case anything comes of that because, because his estate passed to Mary, that means Mary can use his inheritance tax allowance as well. But yeah. I, I figure I might get asked some details about him at some point. And then I typed this financial sheet up. And a lot of it was fairly straightforward because it's company name, type of account, account details and last valuation if it was a plan or bank statement type thing. But then I came to a savings, uh, savings bonds, premium bonds. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Pandora's box? It took three hours. <laughs> it took three hours. And I still, I don't understand it. Honestly, I don't understand how premium bonds works because I've got certificates for batches of bonds, but then I've got payment slips where she's won a prize from a bond that's not on those certificates. Then I've got accounts where she reinvests amounts of money every term. I don't know if they link with the bonds or whether that's a totally separate thing. And it, excuse me, it literally took me an hour. Me and Laura, she was reading the bond numbers out and the holder number because you get a holder number rather than an account number, but she's got three different holder numbers. It literally took us three hours to record all these different slip numbers and they're only the ones that she's got that she's had payments out on. Yeah, and she's probably one. In, I mean, mum keeps, mum's got a fair bit invested in an SNI and I have to say they are the worst people to try and get hold of at the minute because they're obviously limited numbers of staff anyway. Um, but yeah, she will have, well, in fact, if she's not gone online, because they're trying to get everyone to do all the banking, which yeah. obviously she hasn't. Um, chances are she's probably got a fair few more wins that well, she we might not be able to get hold of. Yeah, unless we know this them. one because we got a check after she'd become ill. Yeah. And I said to them at the home, is she capable of signing? Because you have to sign the check. Yeah. yeah. Send you. Um, and they said, no, she's not. Um, oh, now, right now I can actually, one of the reasons I want to go to the post office when we finish recording today is I can actually sign it power of attorney, even though my power of attorney has ended once she died. Yeah. I think I'll get away with paying that in as, yeah. as power of attorney. I hope so anyway, but I only realised I could do that the other day because that's the other thing with all this. You know, 
you don't have a clear mind. No, you don't. You know, when I look at what I've actually done for her since December, November, December, I think, why has it taken me all that time? Because you've been dealing with the emotional stuff. Yeah, huge. And the the fact that, I mean, we spoke about it when when you had to make that decision with the conversation with the doctor when they advised you that the best course would probably be to stop treatment. You still had to make that decision. And you're more than mentally capable and strong enough to make it. But the, the aftermath of having made that decision... You, we spoke for quite some time about it, and 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 it's that kind of almost guilt that you've kind of rubber stamped the fact that they can let her die, like you said at the beginning of the chat. Mm-hmm. That not just the emotion of seeing that person become less of the person that you know or remember, the fact that they've lost a house they've always lived in, they'll never go back there. All those little tiny nuances. Is a massive ball of emotion, and then you've got the responsibility emotion as well. And it's more—it's a case of you've got all this t- stuff to do. You—you you, one, you want to make sure her wishes are kept, followed, yeah, and followed. <clears throat> and then have I forgot to do this? What about this? How does that work? Am I supposed to do this? Where do I go? And like we we touched on earlier, unfortunately because of the current situation with people working remotely and the infrastructure of that not being permanent, things are hard to do. And then you get a conversation with some jumped up, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what they were, the way that you've told us that you got spoke to on Friday is absolutely disgusting. Not anybody in healthcare. That was a solicitor. Well, I did, I the the other thing that, that we've touched on as well is because of COVID. So, you know, again, going back to the situation with my auntie, my mum and I, as soon as we withdrew the treatment, we knew she was going into, you know, all the bodily functions were starting to fail. But mum and I were in the most fortunate position that the care home were absolutely fantastic, took us in as family, basically. And mum and I ended up staying there for the last, I think it was seven days that she was alive. And we did 12 hour shifts each. So we were permanently by her bedside and we could actually be there with her and watch it happening. With you, Claire, you've been waiting for that phone call on top of everything else and running the business. And that must have been even worse. We, you know, we were there, we could still talk to her. Mm. Um, Not that she was responding or anything, but the fact that you're just at a distance is, you know, and then thinking, crikey, what you've got to face when it all comes to it. It's, I think, I think certainly the current situation has made everything more difficult and I'm not, whatever I say next, I am not putting any blame on anybody in any of the care system, whether it be the NHS or the older care homes, Mm. because you can't go in and talk to the people who are looking after them. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you don't know. You're incompetently incompetent, basically. Yeah. Um, And you know it's like the situation we waited for well over a week I can't remember the exact amount of time but well over a week for social services to contact us when we didn't need to wait for them at all Mm. and she was in a in a unit which she hated for that time when we could have got her into the home she wanted to be in Mm. um when the medical examiner rang me actually about the review of the death and the death certificate etc and and they're now asking you if you are happy with what 
the treatment that you got and we, we had a very long conversation about how difficult it is when you're not able to see somebody because the conversation when you're on the phone to a medic or an OT or just a, a support worker in a care home mm. everybody knows that bit about that person that they've seen that day but there's nobody giving you the overview yeah there's nobody actually saying this is how it looks yeah in a in the large picture of things it's just oh yeah she's had a sip of water this morning and and a couple of mouthfuls of breakfast and so you feel like it's a positive thing but actually the whole medical thing going it's just mm. incredibly difficult and I think had COVID not been around and we were able to go into the home and the hospital to see her and have those conversations with the carers and the doctors, etc. Things would have been very different. And I think potentially it wouldn't have had the same outcome in the same time scale. Yeah. Now, her being told she couldn't go home because of mobility had broken a spirit and it would have been a matter of time yeah but had we been able to get her into the right care home environment quickly with her own things around her being it because that care home was allowing visits they'd set up a specific room where you could book a slot and you could sit between a, a yeah perspex screen between you but so what yeah you you're there they one another yeah um i think it would have been a slightly different outcome not eventually obviously because she didn't want to be here anymore mm. but covid has certainly made it all much more difficult like registering the death today i've had to do that over the phone yeah um whilst that wasn't too bad really um and, you know, while the computer was doing its thing, we were chatting about the fact that the registrar's working from home. And she said, well, you know, it, it's a lot more efficient from the view of pe people aren't having to travel a, yeah. and, and try and find parking to come into the town hall and, and things like that when they're in an emotional state. She said, but then in another way, technology can sometimes let you down and it's not as personal and it's not what we signed up for as registrars. Mm -hmm. It's not that personal job that we used to have. But then to pay for the death, the copies of the death certificate, they send you a link. The form that you fill in on that link doesn't explain what they want in each field. First, the first box says name, date of birth. The second box says name. So is that you? Is that them? Yeah. <laughs> I sat here going... I actually don't understand this form I have no clue what they want in what box and it took me about 10 minutes of filled it in but I didn't hit submit it took me about 10 minutes to think no the link she sent me is personal to Mary yeah so the name and date of death is Mary the rest of the information from name downwards is me yeah I must but, admit when we went through the whole process of registering my stepfather's death, certainly. Mum and I went in together. The mm -hmm. people at Sheffield, they they were absolutely yeah. awesome. They're amazing, and, aren't they? And I can understand what she means, that it's not what they signed up for. It takes a very special person to do that job, I think, mm -hmm. because the, you know, the, 
empathy that they have and they can almost tell the minute you walk in the door which you possibly wouldn't pick up on the phone what you're going through how you're taking it yeah and by the point that we went and registered Godfrey's death certainly we were in a position where we could giggle which a lot of people probably will but others will be just so overwhelmed by it and to have to do something like that over the phone hmm. And and I think the other issue for them is that the the hospital has to, you know, when when I was advised Mary had passed, the doctor said, um, you'll get a call from the bereavement team and they'll let you know when to pick your death certificate up. And obviously you don't pick a death certificate up anymore. Um, And so next day the bereavement team hadn't still hadn't called me. So I was like, okay, I'm ringing them. <laughs> um, so I rang them and uh, she said, oh, she said, what happens is, she said, we have to get a doctor to come down from the ward and fill in the paperwork, <laughs> then has to go to the medical examiner's um, department or team or whatever it is to review the death to see if there needs to be an inquest. They've then got to contact you. They then send the paperwork back to us. We then email it to the council and you can't book your appointment with the registrar until they've got that email. And that's when we ring you and say, it's on. You can now go online or ring up and register your death. Uh, make your appointment to register your death, sorry. Um, now, the lady was absolutely lovely at the hospital and she said, I'll push it through for you tomorrow and I said thank you because because the funeral directors actually wanted quite a quick turnaround because it's a tiny country church that's only opened for specific reasons yeah um and, and it all happened as she said but the registrar this morning said that even though when you book your appointment online it actually says has the hospital confirmed they have sent the paperwork to us mm. People are saying yes when it hasn't. So they're booking an appointment. Registrar's ringing them and saying, but we don't know anything about this. We can't do it. Oh, that must be even worse. Oh, my word. That's probably the worst bit about having to do it this way. People aren't reading questions carefully. And it is very difficult because even though I'm... I am emotional... I'm sort of a bit shaky today, but I can. I think I'm thinking fairly clearly about everything, yeah, and I'm certainly used to filling forms in and things. But even on the the form to register with the um, you tell us once, where they inform all the councils and DWP and stuff yeah. like that, um, the form it, it, didn't, it wasn't clear to me. No, and that's the difference with doing it either online or over the phone, isn't it? You know, yeah. the, the, the guy that we had literally went through it question by question. And of course, we were saying, well, is that him or is that us? And making a joke of it at the yeah. time, doing it by yourself. And, and this sort of brings us back to the point of the whole pod chat, really, that you're going through that emotional turmoil at this moment um, that plenty of other people will be going through. And if you've left things unclear not written down you know you haven't got your will in place how on earth will those people be able to deal with that sorting everything out then you've got family disputes to consider as well um you know Mary well, trying, was... to, trying to get it down to 30 people for the funeral 
that's bad enough yeah but you know you you could have all sorts that could easily be covered off in this documentation if you get it all in place mm. and really you'd want to do your family and your loved ones a favor wouldn't you by getting yeah. it all in place so Claire we've got to listen to what we're saying now <laughs> we've got to get yeah. our affairs in order because otherwise it's putting extra pressure that you know you don't need to have that yeah certainly you know if you're married if you're not too old shall we say and you're happy for it all to pass to your spouse fair enough but what happened if something happens to both of you you know god forbid what happens if there's a car accident with you both in Mm. you know who's going to look after your children who's going to where do things go what happens it's it's so vital and I think I always knew it was vital and that's why I pushed dad to do the lasting power of attorneys mum and dad had always had will so I had no worry on that side of things they made them when me and my brother were born um but the lasting power of attorneys are so I cannot stress enough how important they are um it, it's not quick um for some for some organizations they'll accept a scanned copy and they'll talk to you stupidly tv licensing i contacted tv licenses i waited on the phone for 45 minutes to speak to somebody because i'm not the license holder at that address so i couldn't do anything online and the lady was very helpful when I got and she said, can you send a scanned copy of the power of attorney to us um, and we'll process the refund. I did that. I got an email straight away saying we've received this. It's been dealt with. And then they wrote to me with four, four page form with all the information, wanting all the information I'd already given them, but wanting my ID authorised by a magistrate, solicitor, or no, just a mag- I think it was just a magistrate or a solicitor that I could have my ID um, certified by to, to prove that I'm the person on the power of attorney. Um, <laughs> TV license, it's not a frigging bank account. Exactly. And by this point, it was after the decision had been made for Mary about the tr- withdrawing the treatment. Yeah. And I, I just said to Anise, who was acting with me, I just said, for the sake of the TV licence, do I really have to do this? And she yeah, went, just scrap her. it. Forget <laughs> it. Forget it. We'll just get a refund when it, the time comes. And to put it bluntly, I don't think even if the van went past, they'd see a television in use at that property for quite some time. So There, there isn't a TV on the property anymore anyway. Because <laughs> I took it to the nursing home for her. So that's that one, Paul. You there know, you but... Some some organisations were fantastic. The bank was an experience. I had to sit in a, an interview room and the member of bank staff was only allowed to stand in the open doorway. They couldn't come into the room with me. And to fill the forms in on the computer system to, to create the power of attorney, she had to go into her office and ring me. And I couldn't use the, the bank's phone. She had to ring my mobile so we were literally a wall between us. Her office was behind the interview room. And I had to answer all the questions. And then she came round and gave me the paperwork I needed. Oh, my word. Like, you know, it's, it's 
everybody's doing their absolute best in the current circumstances. Um, But please, if you are listening to this, make your wills, protect your loved ones. If you're living together and there is the slightest chance anything could ever go wrong in your relationship, get your cohabitation agreement set up because otherwise one of you could lose out massively and the kids could be affected really, really badly if you've got kids. And power of attorneys, honestly, they're so, so important. Um, Because if you get to a stage where you become ill and you can't deal with your own things anymore, you just don't want to deal with your own things anymore. And let's face it, illness can strike any of us at any point in life. Yeah. You know, who, who... your bank aren't going to let anybody else deal with your accounts unless you've got a power of attorney. So please think about it. Um, If you want any contacts, we've got them. Um, We've got clients who we know, like, trust and would highly recommend um, in all of these areas. Um, But, yeah, it's it's a minefield. And without the right legal document, it's just not even... I, I can't imagine what I'd have been through. Safe safe to say it's been an emotional topic this morning, this afternoon, this evening, wherever you're listening. Um, But so important. And And, and I I, I said, just listen, please listen. Yeah, I wanted to do it, even though it is a bit more sombre than our normal pod chats. And, you know, I know I've hogged the limelight somewhat because I've just gone through it. But it is just such a vital message for anybody. And, you know, if you've got your own business, you need to have that planned out as well. Yeah. Um, like you said earlier, Joe, you know, it's not as straightforward as saying that person's ill and can't run it anymore. There are responsibilities associated with a business, whether mm. it's a sole trader or a limited company. You, you need to have plans in place. So please get some advice and, and get your your shit in order. Get your shit together. On that note. Absolutely. Yeah. It's time for a brew. Bye. Bye.